Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. My guest this week, as you'll hear from his accent, is definitely not Italian, but that doesn't mean he can't speak of it. It's Andy Morton who is now writing for a newspaper in Scotland, but had been an editor at Just Drinks, one of the major uh, uh, web-only newsletters in the industry. So Andy, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Happy to be here. So why don't you give us a little biography uh, of you and how... how uh, how, how we all got to have this conversation together. Yeah, well, for the past 10 years, I've been the deputy editor on Just Drinks, which is a global beverage newsletter that covers the, the global drinks industry. Before that, yeah, um, yeah. So that's been for the past 10 years. Uh, and within that, I've been covering drinks from all sorts of angles. Uh, before that, I lived out in Asia for quite a few years. I worked on a number of English language newspapers over there. I owned a bar in China for a, for a short time uh, in Chengdu in southwest China. And I've been around uh, a number of places, uh, including in New York and seeing you a few times, Steve. Well, I met you in many places around the world, including in London. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm basically, I like to think of myself as a journalist first, a drinks journalist second, and someone who has a great interest and love of the alcohol and drinks industry. Which is really the subject of, of today's interview. I think you and I have a similar journalism backgrounds. Yours, of course, is, is in Scotland. One of the, the points that you're writing now for the Press and Journal is in Aberdeen. Is that right? Aberdeen. And it's one of the oldest continuously published newspapers in the world, dating back to 1747. And I was proud to comment, even though we're not as old, we don't have old things like you guys do. But uh, I live in a town where I still subscribe and maybe the last one subscribing to the Hartford Current, which started in 1764, which is kind of interesting. So that's kind of the journalism focus. So you're not a drinker, but you've written about the industry. Do you think there is a difference in perspective and how you write and what you write about being someone who doesn't drink versus someone who does? Yeah, that is a good question, Steve. I, I, I like to think that because, you know, I, as I am a journalist, so I, I have, therefore, I'm sort of predisposed towards, you know, a neutral viewpoint anyway. And we've, I guess we could discuss that for a long time. But I think that the reason that I, the fact that I don't drink does allow me to to have maybe a broader view over the whole of, you know, I, I'm maybe a slightly more disciplined view of, of what is happening within the drinks industry. And from my perspective, because I'm very much a trade journalist, or certainly was when I was at Just Drinks, I, I'm not in any way interested 
uh, in what things taste like. <laughs> which takes one huge subject off the table, which is usually the first thing that new suppliers say to people in the US, I make a really great whatever. And it's absolutely not relevant at that point of the conversation. Completely, completely. I, I have a, I have a, there's an understanding for me in a way with, with, with my own head that everything has, there's a base level of quality these days. Everything that I was, that I would probably drink would be nice. You know, uh, it's, 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 as you say, I don't drink, but I think it would be rare for somebody to drink something that is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, any more than you'd have a shoe that falls apart when you bought it or, you know. Yeah, there was a base level of quality. And certainly, and certainly when it comes to the big companies, which, which I cover as a part of my job. So when it comes to drinking things, it doesn't matter what it tastes like as far as I'm concerned. All I'm concerned about is how much it sells, what it shifts, what the marketing is, and and what the presence of this this particular product uh, means for the industry as a whole. Okay, so that's kind of the area that I'm most interested to. And one of the issues I see with a lot of people historically in the United States in the business is they don't distinguish messaging and communications and benefits that are oriented towards the trade as opposed to consumers when we're dealing with trade magazines, meaning whether someone's writing an article, whether they're being interviewed or those kinds of things. And so the default is always, oh, let's run our consumer ad. And it because the consumer ad is not speaking anything of interest to the trade. So define to me, if you would, how you view trade communications. We'll get into trade marketing in a minute, but trade communications versus consumer communications. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And I would define trade communications as it's always a two-way street in trade journalism. I'm very much aware that as a trade journalist, I write about the industry, but in also some ways I am part of the industry. And that means that my job is maybe it walks a, a, more of a, 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 fine, a finer line, perhaps, than it would in, in consumer publications. My readers are people that work in the industry. So when it comes to writing about the industry, there is a, a motivation, perhaps, to, to write positively about the industry and also to convey the type of information that those companies want to be conveyed and want to be out in the world. And, and that, 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 that is always, there is always that kind of, those sort of competing sides in trade journalism. But I, I think also as as a as a trade journalist and, and this is and something that trade publications have to do is to to be able to criticize the industry and talk about the industry in an independent way so that when or if mistakes are being made, then the then we're able to to talk about that, to write about it and for the readership to, to read about it. It's it's easy to and sometimes I worry myself that that my role in in trade journalism or my role as a, a journalist within the industry is to be something of a useful idiot for companies. I mean, quite, I'm being quite hard on myself here, but that's a great term, though. I like <laughs> useful idiot. I think I would fall under that heading too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure everybody's been one of those sometime in their life, but um, you know. It, I'm really just a means for a company to get their message out. That's sometimes how I think I'm viewed by by wine companies, alcohol companies, whatever, whatever, whatever they might be. And I, I you know, I think, but that, you know, that that is perhaps useful for the companies to have that kind of message out there. But I don't think it's useful for the industry as a whole. 
I think the industry needs uh, criticism and needs independent voices to be able to look dispassionately at the industry rather than just give what the what might be the line coming from the largest companies. Okay, and I happen to agree with that. And there are a couple, certainly in the US, I'm not that familiar with um, to some degree of what's going on in the UK, but two guys in particular pop into my mind. One is Blake Gray, who is the US editor, and I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, the US editor from winesearcher.com. And the other is Tom Wark, W-A-R-K, who is a PR guy, but he's also head of the NAWR, National Association of Wine Retailers. Now, I'll, I'll talk about each of them individually because I think they're significant. Blake is a bit of a raconteur, and he loves to create controversies, explore them, and um, expose them when they're maybe not seen for the true controversy that they are. And that's great. And that's what you're talking about, that the journalism uh, journalist as a critic to say, no, 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 you can't gloss over this you know, like the BP spill in the Gulf of Mexico killed a couple of birds. No, no, it's a little bit more than that, okay? And I love reading him, Blake, and he's really developed a voice not only just on what he does on Wine Searcher, but in other things. And you kind of know when you're going to read something from him, it's going to be entertaining because he's going to pick a fight. And we like that. And um, similar, but less uh, incendiary, <laughs> maybe, is Tom Wark. And I don't know if you know him. Uh, he writes a blog called Fermentation, very much focused on uh, direct-to-consumer sales and freeing up in the, within the three-tier system, retailers being allowed to ship directly to consumers, which is a contentious issue in the U.S. We won't go into it in detail here, but Tom's been an, an advocate of freeing that up for a long, long time. And it's really interesting talking to them because you get a very, very different, less, what's the word I'm looking for, cleaned up version of what's happening. There, there tends to be a dominance in the U.S. of the conversation by entities who have uh, the ability to dominate a conversation either by money or by exposure, one of them being WSWA, and their interest is in preserving the status quo. Do you see much, do you see much going on in um, U.S.-oriented trade publications? But I would include Decanter, and you know that's Crossover Magazine there, but, you know, uh, uh, drinks magazine in the UK and so forth. Speak about that. Within wine specifically, there is that crossover between those two sites. You know, you have the the trade press, but it is always heavy, influenced slightly by the, the consumer side of things because wine has, wine publications, I would argue are quite distinct from publications about anything else. You don't really have, you know, and within trade publications, you, you don't have that kind of history in other industries that you do in, uh, in in wine of those kind of legacy publications, those publications that have been around for a while that talk about wine, that kind of straddle that the, the two categories, whether it's consumer or whether it's uh, trade. Um, and that, I think, has led to, or, or maybe is is part of the, the slightly different way that wine is talked about in trade circles. Are you talking about the preciousness of it and all that kind of stuff, or the geekiness of it? It is certainly more flowery. The the types the type of language and the type of prose that is used within what wine specific trade publications. It, it, they're far more prone to to go over to the, the the type of you know whether it's the, the tasting note style of writing. Oh, the whole thing about sautéed gooseberries. I know that's kind of my metaphor for it. Yeah, I never had a gooseberry. I wouldn't know if it hit me in the face, and I surely wouldn't know what a sautéed one tastes like. Definitely not butter or olive oil. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> but that kind of writing is very much part of the wine industry as a whole. But I I, I personally don't like to see it quite so much appear within your, your kind of hard-nosed or 
you know, your more kind of business sides of, of the wine industry. But, you know, it's there. It's, it's there in, in everything that, that we do in wine. And it makes it such an interesting category to cover. And it makes a lot of the conferences and the, ex- the exhibitions that you go to a lot more interesting to go to. Because, because it is people who are passionate about what they do. And that definitely comes through. But when it comes to the actual business of wine, trade publications tend to perhaps be more... You know, more more about the lifestyle, perhaps, rather than the, the, the than the trade itself, which I would say is maybe not quite so good for the industry as a whole when it comes to making those hard nosed business decisions. So take that that perspective and think about. And I'm I'm obviously interested here with the focus on Italy, but it could be any exporting uh, country to the U.S. Is there anyone that you've worked with, and you don't have to name names if you don't want to, that you think is doing a good job? And if so, what is it that they're doing? that makes it a good job and, and that their support or the input or the, the, the ideas that they come up to and pitch to or through you works. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to name any names, sorry. <laughs> but what I would say is that it, there are perhaps two, two types of information that you can give uh, as a journalist or when you're writing about an industry. And, and that is, you know, there is the the news of of the industry as a whole, whether that's about you, you might want to sort of define it as as industry gossip, <laughs> which is great fun, and uh, and that in- who's acquiring who and who got what job and all that kind of stuff, yeah, right, and and that is how you you know the kind of information which you can use to make business decisions and it helps you to sell more products and certainly gives you an idea of what is happening with the industry that you're in. That That's one side of it. But then there's also certainly more so nowadays, the, the other side of it, which is the data. Giving the readers access to, to data, whether that's export volumes or, you know, whether that's growth levels for certain types of categories or the, you know, the, the amount of um, if, whether Chilean wine is, is or, or Argentinian wine is, is finding growth within certain markets in the UK or, you know, Italian wine versus French wine, Austrian wine, whatever. And and this this is a sort of a newer part of journalism and, and brushes up against the, the, the strategy desks of, of large companies. Because when people are brand owners and brand directors, uh, owners of, of, of companies are putting together their strategy, this is the kind of information that they, they need to base their future projections and, and strategy on. So that's becoming a more important part, I think, of, 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 of journalism. It's maybe, as far as I'm concerned, it's not as much fun as writing about <laughs> the more gossipy side, but it is a, a, a hugely important side. So this is where... Journalism now is brushing up against the strategy desks, if you want to put it like that, of, of companies, of the, the people that are hired within within companies to to make those sort of forward-looking projections. Yeah, but but then also, you know, not every company, and certainly in wine, not every company can afford to have that kind of stuff. So they look to their trade publications to give them that kind of information. And I think where you might have been heading, I'm going to overstate it here, but um, that information can be sanitized. You know, I love that phrase, research work, research proves research works. I mean, you know, you, you, Mark Twain said it, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. But I, my recommendation to most people I talk to who are looking at the U.S. market is subscribe to all of the publications that you can. Most are free. Just Drinks, uh, and it's just-drinks.com charges, but it's it's 
not nominal, but it's not, not, not that significant. And there's a couple of others that charge. Wine and Spirits Daily, Schenken News Daily, but some of them, like Mark Brown's newsletter, is free, and a bunch of others are. And my point is, if you go and read all the newsletters, daily and weekly, for about two to three weeks, you're going to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the U.S. You're going to know who the players are. You can know what the biases are. You can know what the trends are. And some of it will be data. Some of it will be insight. And some of it will be gossip. But the idea is by reading and assessing rather than somebody else taking the data, distilling it and giving you the conclusions makes a huge difference. And I'll use one example. Doing a project now for a client, I have this very, very... um, rigorous way of identifying which markets uh, to target in the U.S., looking at both quantitative and qualitative data that I access because I get all of these reports and, you know, can boil them down. And all of that is is not even worth the paper that it's printed on because it's not <laughs> printed on paper anymore. When it boils down to in the U.S., the decision of where you're going to go to is made by the distributor who says yes. So whatever distributors say yes, those are the states that you're going to go into. Now, they may be your priority states and states, and that may be something to talk about. But at the end of the day, the the decision, the, the weight of the decision falls on the importer and the d- distributor. They're almost a filter you have to go through. I look at them as not an obstacle, but like um, when you're doing the hurdles, a race of the hurdles, you got to hop over these things. You know they're there. You plan for them in your pace, but they can determine whether or not you're going to be successful. That's not the way it works in the rest of the world, though, is it? Um, well, you know, you have a specific issue in, in the U.S., which is the, your three-tier um, system, which is unique to, to the U.S. So you don't, have, you don't have quite the same challenges in other countries. Here, here's what I'm trying to say is, is there's data and that you need to turn data into information and then turn information into insight. And only people who really understand the market can do what I just said. I'm not patting myself on the back, but this was a perfect example of what happened literally yesterday, where I went through this whole analysis and we got to the conclusion. And so what states should we go into? And the answer was the ones who say yes first. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't have done the analysis and that we shouldn't have had that very deep dialogue with the client so that they understand the differences between how South Carolina works and Georgia, which is a franchise state where they only recently allowed uh, in-store tastings. And those are some critical assets that you want to be able to leverage when you're there. So you do need to know it. You need to see it there. But um, I think you need someone in the U.S. market who can interpret that information and say, okay, here's what it means and here's how you can apply it strategically. Well, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on what you think of the the level of, could you say, sort of expertise within uh, wine writing or wine publications these days? You, you might, you, you've been in the industry for a long time. Thank you for that. I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen the publications come and go, and some stick around for, for a long time. But then, as the industry, and I'm talking about the wine industry as a whole and all across the world. It, as it doing business has certainly become more complicated, perhaps as, as, over the years. You know, we you have your you you have some things obviously don't stay, uh, change, but you know there are far more markets and far more certainly more consumers to to target these days. So you could argue that you know things are a lot more interesting. Uh, I thought a lot more uh, complicated, but at the same time, uh, as has been happening in newspapers all over the U.S. and around the world, the resources for publications is is becoming smaller uh, the, the amount of people that perhaps that the reports or talk about the u.s wine industry 
is 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 less than it would would have been in the past. Certainly for the size that it is. Um, so would you say that the the expertise and the knowledge from the people that are writing about wine in the U.S. Do you think that is not the the, the same kind of level as it used to be? I've got a couple of answers to that. One is it's a function of scale. I'm talking about numbers here. So Wine Spectator, I think their uh, actual circulation number is about 400,000, you know, plus or minus 100,000. And, you know, with Pass Along Circ, as we like to talk about it in the advertising industry, multiply that by three. So maybe you get 1.2 million, right? VinePair states that they have 20 million client interactions or customer interactions, everything from someone referencing something or reading it or downloading an article, passing one or sharing one. But you can kind of compare who's reading these things and it's online gets the scale and the scope and that the subject matter seems to kind of settle based on its specific gravity. So, for example, I don't even know if you're familiar with VinePair, but it's a big publication here, but it's very focused on newbies. So a lot of people who are first discovering wine for the first time, and here's things like, well, there's a difference between Bordeaux and Burgundy. Oh, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it's kind of in that that phase. There are a bunch of others, Wine Searcher being one, and, and the people who are writing the editorial content for that, which deep in the weeds. But what they do is they present um, their data based on searches And as we all know from search engine optimization and watching that whole uh, category grow, evolve, uh, and become professional, um, there's a big difference between searches and relevance and purchases. Um, And you have to differentiate amongst and between um, all of those to understand what the, uh, so for example, wine searcher, most of the searches are for first growth Bordeaux. Okay, well, 99.9% of the people who are reading this thing are never going to taste a first growth Bordeaux. It's purely interesting and and maybe, you know, I don't know, but that that's kind of, usually that's what the numbers show. We see uh, some similar things, but not as extreme from Vivino, which, and Drizzly, with both, which both report their lists of wines that people are referenced and so forth. But if we do everything by the numbers like that, we get, we get the same problem that we had with the reason Blockbuster is no longer in business, right? And the concept is a long tail. You're familiar with that too. That if, if there are only, uh, if there are, you know, a thousand movies that are popular or get seen more than, you know, a couple of times a month, that's what Blockbuster in the stores. It's an old uh, place where you used to be able to buy videotapes of movies for those young people who are listening. But they only stocked, you know, the, the top, Call it a thousand, whatever. But there's probably a gazillion, and you know, movies that have done that. If you can inventory them at no cost, which you can do electronically, then any watch can be a profitable. You know, watch the movie could be a profitable one because you have no cost of maintaining the inventory of those things. So it changed it. Not only is access different, storage is different. And retrieval is different, and that's where search comes in to be able to find out what's going on. So the point I was going to make earlier was that when I talked about uh, industry newsletters, 80% of the traffic that comes to my website, blog site, and the podcast stuff comes through a post I originally wrote four years ago listing industry newsletters with links on how to subscribe. Now, I've refreshed it every year, but at the end of the day, I have Google juice on just that. And that exposes that many people to more of the other stuff I'm writing about and doing. It could go away tomorrow when Google changes their algorithm. I recognize that. But up until now, that's been the one constant through everything I'm doing. And that's why trade 
marketing is so important to me. And on the journalism side, it's, you know, what is the story? I'll ask another question in a moment, but I did want to pay tribute to a friend of mine who I've known for years and years who died recently, Jack Robertiello. He was most recently editor of Beverage Media. And he was the guy I would always go to when I was struggling. You know, I'm trying to figure out this PR thing and what angle it is. And what do you think I should go with, right? It was somebody I felt comfortable talking to him. You will be receiving the pitch. <laughs> but I, I knew him well enough that he could say, well, why don't you shape it this way? This is what's of interest. This is what, what I'm seeing. There's almost this clubby, uh, connection. Like when we all get together at various conferences, there are co different conversations that take place between journalists and other journalists or podcasters or people on you know, varying ends of the spectrum of whatever journalism is these days. Can you comment on that? I mean, I'm going all over, but no, I will. Um, you know, you, those those kind of relationships are very important. But then you saw that as an important relationship because you wanted to be able to get your message out there through the trade publications. And, and that, I think that relationship is different now because previously perhaps it, trade publications were a very important way to get your message out and, and still are to some extent, but there's so many different ways that companies can uh, get their message out. And that was my point about, you know, uh, the, the, the scale of Wine Spectator to online publications being, you know, 10, 100, 1,000 foot orders of magnitude. Definitely, which in itself sort of diminishes perhaps the, the power of, of, of trade publications. They, they can be kind of sidestepped in a way. And also means what, are, what is their point anymore? Is, is it, I, I suppose originally they started out as an idea for, a, you know, this is our community. We need to report on our community in the same way that a local newspaper would report on the town and what, what's, what affects the people within that town. And there's still a role for that, but <laughs> whether that is a role that uh, publications are able to make money out of. Yeah, well, the revenue generation is the big question mark. And uh, a parallel subject to what we're talking about is trade shows, because it used to be the only time you were able to get to see other people is when you could do it efficiently, when everybody gathered in the same place at the same time. Now, just like you and I are doing on a Zoom call, we're not in the same place. It surely isn't the same time because you're five hours ahead of us. Now, obviously, we're talking simultaneously. But what's your point of view from a trade writer's perspective of the role of trade shows? And I'm talking about Vin Italy, Vin Expo, Provine, and WSWA in the US going forward. Yeah, I, I, th I think they're still hugely important. And something that even though there was a lot of talk before COVID or during COVID about how this was going to change the the way that conferences and exhibitions uh, are run, and they did for a while, Every, everybody went virtual for, for some time. And it turned out to be, oh, actually, this is quite easy to do. The company I worked for made the pledge that, uh, or decided that it was not going to do live shows ever again. And this is a company that did a, a whole host of events uh, through all sorts of industries. And their plan was, oh, actually, we don't need to do this anymore. We can do it a whole lot cheaper, get everybody in on Zoom. And reach more people. In, in some cases, I know with tastings, you can reach hundreds of people where if you take them on a, on a press trip, you might only have 20. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so that was the, the sense that the things were going to be different from now on. But it hasn't turned out like that. The comp My company has decided that, oh, actually, people do like live events. Uh, and with you know, COVID, it's certainly still uh, has not gone and uh, has not gone away certainly yet, and may, may never do. But there is a sense of urgency, I think, among people within the the, the alcohol industry and especially the wine industry to get back to those live events. And it's not just about meeting your old friends; that that plays a big part of it. 
it is that sense of um you know the 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 event in the calendar the, you know the the thing that you look forward to and getting out there and meeting your clients and meeting your customers uh, and and maintaining those those sort of networks and those relationships that, that you've built up people believe or seem to believe that the the virtual sphere is no replacement for actually doing it in real life. Have you ever had the opportunity to attend a WSWA? No, I haven't. No. It it's an, a very it has been a very structured event that is very different from any other trade event I've ever been to where you make prearranged appointments and the the suppliers and or distributors have suites and all the meetings take place in the suites and the whole the idea of the trade floor is secondary to it. My understanding is that's going to change going forward, that there's a recognition on the WSWA's part that they have to be play a major role in helping new brands come uh, into the U.S. market, rather than one of the things that the three-tier system gets tagged for is preventing brands from coming into the U.S. system. I don't know the details. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more about it from when this goes on. But I think that alone is significant because it's the U.S. industry, the guys who really represent the biggest power, more than the importers, the distributors of the power in the United States with all the consolidation we've had, that that recognition and that um, application of that change is really, really significant. Uh, I'm really interested to see what the structure is like because it used to be the way I would do business. Oftentimes, WSWA has two hotels and there's a hallway between the two hotels, one in Las Vegas and one in Florida, Orlando. And you could talk to and see everybody who you want to talk to in the industry over a period of four days by just standing in that hallway. People who would never return your phone call, but are too polite to say, nah, I don't want to talk to you when they're walking down the hall. You can kind of call them over. And that's what I mean about the value of a trade show is this business be able to see eye to eye with somebody. It isn't just you and I looking, I'm looking at a fuzzy picture of you with a reflection of the computer screen in your background. That's not the same as sitting down at a table, not even tasting anything, but talking to one another about the weather or whatever is going on. Everybody, uh, and certainly when I go to uh, exhibitions, uh, I love to talk to you know the veterans, the old-handers who have been doing this for some time and to get their stories of, of what it used to be like back in the good old days, uh, whether that was, you know, sloshes of wine uh, down the aisles as, as uh, you know, on the final day, people would, would, uh, would have a couple of, a couple of extra bottles uh, before they had to clear out of the hall. And, and in some places, uh, you know, that's, um, if you go back 20, 30 years, the, the kind of cigarette stained. I'm thinking of the old newspaper city rooms, right? With the guys with the sleeves rolled up and the hats and the, the cigarettes coming out, peck hunting and pecking on the typewriters. That, uh... Right, right. And, and uh, there would always be a gleam in their eye as people would like, reminisce about this kind of stuff. And, and I think, you know, everybody has uh, memories, recollections of, the, of their first trade show or um, trade shows of, of the past. And, and I still think it is uh, an, an important part of the industry and one that... Well, one of them that you're probably more familiar with than, than most, and we'll probably make this the last question. I have one, actually, one question after that, is the London Wine Fair. That, that used to be kind of a major thing, as your point. You, you, as you know, it was a date on the calendar that you scheduled your calendar around. Has really shrunk in importance, has become very regionalized or provincial, if you will, mostly oriented towards the UK market. It used to be kind of international. Can you comment on that? It, they decided to go, I think a few years ago, they decided to, to move away from the, the kind of global reach the, that, they, that they arguably had before into one that was more about local customers, local clients. I think much of it was that they were unable to get the kind of audience that they had previously. 
and that is because the because of the success of um, uh, of, of trade shows in, in other countries, specifically programming. And then they were doing they were doing the job a whole lot better, and they were they were doing it in uh, exhibition centres that were <laughs> that were be- better suited to to that kind of business minded event. We're uh, more like uh, fifteen. The uh, um, yeah, seven or eight in the case of Provo. In the case of in Italy, it's fifteen, and it's huge. Which uh, um, it shouldn't amaze me, but it it is about how diverse Italian wines are with the number of indigenous grapes and how many people are involved in the industry more so i think than any other country in the world yeah infinitely still a very important show and i think it will continue to be it's one that definitely is on everybody's calendar okay so we're, we're going to wrap it up tonight but i i usually I'm, I'm kind of blindsiding you on this question but i i meant to tell you this i usually end my conversations by asking for what's the big takeaway of, of all the things that we just talked about if someone were listening to this broadcast and they were in the industry, could be a producer, could be a importer, could be you know somebody like uh, freight forwarder or whatever. What can they take away from the conversation that we had? What one thing can they take action on right away? You take action on oh, well, put it to use. You know, we've been talking theoretically, but is there anything we told them that they can do? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, from my perspective as as somebody in, in trade journalism. Send a little bit of love out to your uh, <laughs> your relevant publication. That they may well need it, but also to to be aware, perhaps that the the way that that I I think the way that journalists write about the industry is going to change a little bit over the next few years, and that and it is going to be more it's going to be more data led because there is more of an ac- uh, more of an ability uh, and a lot certainly a lot more data flying around there, and and the way. And this is true of journalism as a whole. There are trends far more towards digging deeper into the data and using the data as a, as a basis rather than you know interviewing people and, and talking to people within the industry. So I, I think that that is going to change and that is going to be good for businesses because this is, if it is solid data, if it's data that you can trust, it's going to be the kind of data that you can hang businesses business decisions off. It can make a, right, it can make a pitch that has a, has a solid business reason and foundation for it. Yeah, we, we saw that, I think, uh, in popular culture with the movie Moneyball, that it, it took baseball from a game. Now it's just a game of statistics. And for those of us, I used to love baseball. I can't watch it anymore. Uh, the statistics are overwhelming. The, it was the Cubs, wasn't it? What was the team that, that Billy Bond, Billy, what's his name, was the, the, the coach, the chief guy of? In Moneyball, Billy, what's his name? Oh, I don't remember the movie. <laughs> I just remember the concept that it was all about statistics, and now all professional sports are all about statistics and data. Corollary to your thing. Some space in there for the personal, for the gossipy. Well, you said love. What do you mean by love? You mean like add dollars to the publication, gives you access to the, the writers? How about that as a question? <laughs> yeah, well, money is the, the, the one true love. No, it's just recognition or willingness to take part within the the, the community of, of, of these publications. And, it's, and especially in wine, that's a community that's been built up over, over many years. And I think with the sort of a newer generation of people coming through that are not quite so you know they don't have they don't have the the kind of habits of of going towards a a trade publication for, as a place to get their news. You know, younger people are far more likely to get it from um, from other sources. But I think there is still 
uh, I hope anyway, there's still a role for that, that kind of industry publication that, that acts as a, as a local newspaper, but, but for the industry. I think that's the most important thing that, that you've said uh, or that we've talked about in this conversation. And I tell, I no longer have a staff, but when I had a staff, it would be read what they're writing, understand what their interests, biases, and habits are, then when you're pitching, you're going to be pitching relative to a conversation that's already in their head rather than saying, let me tell you how wonderful my product is. I mean, at the end of the day, do you want to get 50 pitches with a, a, a news release about the next, I don't know, yogurt, wine, single serve, e-commerce, whatever it happens to be, or somebody saying, hey, I saw that article you wrote about the e-commerce changes in the United States. Here's something that's another take on that you might be interested in. That's kind of the way I've always done it. And you're not pitching money so much. You're, you're pitching a story angle that is relevant, not only to the publication, but particularly to the readers. And I, I've never been an editor. Well, yeah, I kind of have. But I suspect that that's something that's more interesting to an editor than let me give you a pitch about my new client's product. Here's the release. Call me if you want a picture. Of course he's going to want a picture. <laughs> Every time. We always want a picture. And what's the MSRP? <laughs> you should lead with that. Anyway, great conversation. I'm afraid I talked way too much, but it was fun. Andy's moving on to uh, the Press and Journal out of Aberdeen. As I said, he's had a long tenure at AROC, is the, the company name which publishes Just Drinks. Just Food, and what's the other publications in the in the group? Just Auto and Just Style. So we bid you farewell to the beverage alcohol community, but something tells me, you know, it's kind of like Al Pacino in Godfather 3, and every time I try and get out, it drags me back in. <laughs> we hope to see you back into the industry. Uh, alcohol is a habit of doing that, doesn't it? <laughs> For many reasons. There's, there's a metaphor you could use. Okay, so uh, this was Andy Morton joining us. Andy, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely, Steve. Great to talk to you. This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to Italian Wine Podcast.